got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time to say All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and it's going to be another fun show. David Lesky of Inside the Crown, going to talk a little Royals with us. Uh, people not happy with the Royals, even though they swept the Bro, series over the Bro, they just got weekend. a sweep. I know, they're not happy. What does it take though. to please they're these not people? They're not happy. Not what happy. Is, I mean, dude, just be happy. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> it's hard to be happy, though, when even though after you sweep, you're, what, 32 and 75? Yeah, 32 <laughs> and 100. Great. 32 and uh, 100. We'll talk with David Lesky coming up at 340. Scott Wright of the Oklahomans going to hop on with us at 505. We're going to continue on with our KU football early season previews. Oklahoma State is next up on the ledger with Scott. RCST football trivia will keep going. We have three matchups today starting at 4.05 here in the 4 o'clock hour. And we've also got some KU basketball audio from Kevin McCuller and Nick Timberlake later in the show. Kicking off the show, though, with our defensive end preview, which is uh, next up on the docket here. We did the interior of the defensive line, defensive tackles, um, for our last positional preview. So moving to the defensive ends, you know, overall, the defensive line lost the most of any position on the defense from last year, and maybe, I guess, of any position on the entire team. Yes, I would say I would say that's a pretty reasonable statement. Oh, you I mean, lost who else starters. lost anything? You lost. I mean, yeah. you lost Earl Bostick off offensive line, but you still feel like it's going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that was like, the only spot you lost on the offense. Yeah, I, I guess you lost a couple of rotational linebackers, but yeah, I mean, in terms of starters, um, offensively, yeah, that was your only starter lost one offensive lineman. Defensive side, uh, what starter wise, you bring back all three of your top corners, you bring back all three of your top safeties, you bring back. You know, two years starting linebackers, or I guess three with Craig Young. I, I always, you know, weird positioning. But nonetheless, uh, defensive line is is the one where that's not the case. And uh, you're going to be asking for Jeremy Robinson to emerge into a starter. Last year, he played basically equal snaps as to Malcolm Lee, who was the starter at one of the defensive end spots. Uh, Lonnie Phelps was the other starter. So Robinson basically has been a starter, but just in terms of actually getting that game started next year, name, it will be a little different this year and maybe he plays more snaps. I also don't know that they have another guy on the team that in the same way that Robinson was basically splitting snaps in terms of snap count there, that um, there will be somebody else who does what Robinson did last year. But nonetheless, he's the one guy on this on this defensive end group where I'm like, okay, he's going to be a starter. I think everything else is kind of up for grabs. Yeah, because you lose Lonnie Phelps, and there was a bit of a scramble, it felt like, to find some guys in the transfer portal to fill that void. And they did go out and get a couple guys, but unfortunately, Patrick Joyner was hurt. I don't even think that he even played all in spring. I don't think he did. So uh, he's kind of the big-name guy, was originally at Miami, then went to Utah State, and he seems like, on paper, maybe has the most pedigree to be that sort of impact level player, but we don't, you don't know. We haven't, you didn't get a chance to see him in the spring. 
and then you have Austin Booker. But you're right. In terms of returning production that we think we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be, it's really just Jeremy Robinson. And I don't think there's any question that the D-line is the, is the area of most concern for KU on probably both sides of the ball heading into the season in terms of what it's going to look like, what can you expect production-wise, is there going to be enough pressure on pass rush, is there going to be solid run defense as well. And that extends specifically to the defensive end position because that's where you're, you're hoping to have your best pass rushers be at, but it's just really hard really hard to project right now because you you lost Lonnie Phelps, a guy that probably at least externally, I don't think anybody outside the program really expected him to declare. And I don't know if there was a more of a pulse on it inside the program, but I'm sure it was still a bit of a surprise. And then you have to go try to find somebody to replace that in March and April. That's tough to do. That's tough to do. Yeah, it really and is. And again, with a guy like Patrick Joyner or with Austin Booker, it's you won't necessarily know how well of a replacement those guys may be until once you get into the season. And if it's not enough and you and it doesn't work out, that's already too late, right? So then it's you're kind of stuck with what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of really the real issue with the defensive end situation especially. Because, listen, Jeremy Robinson had a couple breakout games. I think the Baylor game, which we just talked about in our Jail Rewind last week, was kind of his big game. But is it going to be consistent, and is it going to be to the level that Lonnie Phelps was? And that's a question with him. Can he take that jump? I, I, I don't even yeah. rule it out that he can reach some of the stats that Lonnie Phelps did, but it is tough to get up there because Lonnie Phelps was so good. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't really think he needs to be like an elite-level pass rusher. What you do need, though, is you need a guy on your D-line or you need somebody that when it's third down and nine is going to go make a play. Like they don't, He doesn't necessarily have to get like eight sacks on the year. But it's, can you make the critical plays? Can you turn it up a notch even higher on those important third-down situations to make plays? Because, like, I think if if a guy like Jimmy Robinson, because, I mean, how many sacks did Lonnie Phelps have last year? He didn't have that many, right? I think he had, what, seven sacks last year? Uh, six and a half, top seven. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. So, you don't, I mean, you don't have to have a ton of sacks, I don't think, if you're, if you're KU or if you're, you know, Jeremy Robinson or whoever. But if they are all significant, timely sacks, then that makes a huge difference. So that's what I'm looking at here is it's third down and nine, late third quarter, early fourth quarter in a close game. You need somebody to be a game wrecker for one play. Can Jeremy Robinson do that? Can Patrick Joyner do that? Can somebody do that? I don't know. And again, I don't know that we're going to find out until we get into the season. And if KU... If it turns out that they don't have that guy, that's going to be a little bit concerning. Yep, and we've talked about before, what is the difference, run defense, pass rush, but this is the unit that you're going to be asking for that pass rush. Now, uh, who's going to be the guy competing for that starting spot next to Jeremy Robinson? Yeah, Patrick Joyner, Hayden Hatcher, Austin Booker, Davian Westmoreland. Maybe you throw Dylan Brooks in there. I don't know, Dean Miller, Tony Terry, Blake Harold. I, I think in the case of Harold and Terry, uh, those are both freshmen. Also, Harold might be a defensive tackle. I don't know. Uh, both in the case of Terry and Harold, those are both probably future guys. Yeah, I guess. I mean, do you think? Do you realistic, realistically think Dylan Brooks has a chance to play? I mean, I think he's in the impact? competition. If I mean, this is a former, you know, high end four star recruit that 
if he puts it together, why could he not? But uh, yes, I do think. But is it going to happen right away? No, I, I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he was on the two deep at defensive end for this year. At least to start the year. Yes. Maybe like eight games into the season where he's shown an impressive in practice right. and whatnot. Maybe he gets on the field. I think the potential's there. I just, I think it's going to take some time adding weight to him. Um, I was talking when it first happened to uh, somebody I know who uh, covers Auburn for a living, and yeah, he uh, he basically said it's it's going to take him some time. He's more of a developmental player, so that's how I view it with Dylan Brooks. Which right? listen, that's great for KU, a very talented who, player. What, who has a fantastic track record of developing players? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and the KU staff. I 100 percent envision Dylan Brooks will be a good player for KU at some point. I just, yeah, I do have my questions if if it'll be right away, which you know it's fine. It takes some guys a little yeah, bit longer. That's fair, not yeah. a big deal. Absolutely. Dean Miller's kind of in the same group for me. He's a redshirt sophomore, former transfer from College of the Canyons uh, in Southern California, and he's uh, a lengthy defensive end. But again, he probably needs even more development onto him. So I think realistically for me, it's like Jeremy Robinson will start at one, and then it's a competition between four guys. And I guess that makes it so that if you add Jeremy Robinson, that gives you five guys for two deep, which, okay, that makes sense, right? Pretty good, yeah. Uh, Patrick Joyner didn't really get to see him during spring ball because of injury. Hayden Hatcher, who was, I believe, starting during spring ball next to Jeremy Robinson, and you heard, like, so much about him being a hustle guy and just working his butt off and doing everything he can to be in that starting lineup. You love hearing stories of those guys. But you need to see another level of play from what Hayden Hatcher has brought in the past. Austin Booker, transfer from Minnesota. I think he's got some good potential to him. Redshirt sophomore. But again, does he need more development on him? And then Davion Westmoreland, who we actually did see mix in there with uh, some of the ones during the spring showcase. He's a redshirt sophomore. That's that's kind of a scary... I don't know. May, maybe this could be one of those positions that's like receiver last year where it's like yeah. well we we don't know what to expect there's a lot of questions here but a lot of those questions are just we haven't seen them do it before yeah the biggest thing here is there's talked some, about I don't know. having five guys yeah two of those guys are transfers though so that means you need at least one of those transfers to step in and be pretty impactful right away right like you need you need at least one of those guys to come in and sort of have an opportunity to play and be a guy that that can that can create some havoc a little bit and, and get into the lineup. Because if neither of the transfers are able to really perform at a high level or it takes them some time to get into the defense or whatever, suddenly uh, a position group where you just said you had five guys for a 2D, now you only have three. If those if both the transfers are guys that need some time to get acclimated or, and don't make a lot of plays right away early in the season. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, if I'm going right now, I would almost guess that right now Hayden Hatcher would have the edge up, but I feel like the ceiling is going to be higher on a lot of those guys. With Hatcher, yeah. it would be more about like a leadership play, an experience play, a veteran play, a guy who's hustles and type. does it the right way. Yeah, uh, maybe he can take that next step up, but you know it it hasn't been there in the past, and it's been more of a not a want to thing. But can you add the size to it? He did talk about in the spring wanting to add another five ten pounds, so maybe that can get him there. And maybe this is the year that it does all click. I'll, I'm rooting for him. He's a fun kid to root for. So uh, that'd be kind of fun if if that's the case. But yeah, it, it is one of those positions. There's a lot of questions. There's just a lot of unproven guys that maybe they do have talent, but it hasn't been proven at this level. You also have uh, Jaden Brittingham and Cole Petrus on the roster. I believe both of those are um, walk ons. Uh, so I, I think beyond the biggest question of can Jeremy Robinson take that next big step forward, which we kind of already talked about here, um, if he can become 
at least equivalent to what you got production-wise last year from Lonnie Phelps, the year before from Kyron Johnson. Do you even have somebody else who can be the next Malcolm Lee? If Jeremy Robinson is the new Phelps or Johnson, who's going to be the new Malcolm Lee? Who's going to be the new Jeremy Robinson? Do you have that? Yeah, I mean, I think, like kind of like you said, you look at a guy like Hayden Hatcher who should be able to step up and, like you said, I think it's safe to say he's probably going to be maybe that other starter, at least to start the year. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Patrick Joyner by the end of fall camp just because Patrick yeah. Joyner didn't get to play during yeah. spring ball. Exactly. I'm just saying so heading like a, in. yeah, It's a mystery box with him. You don't really know. But, yeah, I think heading in it's probably Hayden Hatcher. And uh, I, if he's able to become that, that's probably your answer. But, again, you, you're looking at needing to hit on one of your transfers, really. Uh, in order to feel pretty good. So uh, it's tough because you're right. Even if Jeremy Robinson does take that step up and becomes that that guy, you maybe fall back into a similar situation you had last year where opposing offenses are just going to say, okay, well, Jeremy Robinson is, is having a good year. We're just going to key on him, and we know that whoever's on the other side is not good enough to, to really mess up our game, mm-hmm. right? So then you can just do what teams did to Lonnie Phelps last year, kind of double-team him and take him out, right? Yeah. So you really do need another guy to be of service that can step in and and be a threat on the other side because otherwise offenses are just going to shift towards your one guy who's who's effective and really neutralize. Well, okay, so I'm looking at Pro Football Focus right now. Uh, the team leader in hurries. You know, sometimes that can be. Uh, sometimes you can be really good at getting pressure. You just can't come through with the sack. Like hurries. Sometimes are even more of a predictive stat than sacks can be. Lonnie Phelps led the team last year with 22. He's gone. Malcolm Lee was second on the team with 18. He's gone. Caleb Sampson, he's defensive tackle. Uh, he had 16. He was third. He's gone. Jeremy Robinson, fourth with 11. He's back. Sam Burt was seven and fifth. So you lose four of your top five there. That's a lot to make up for. Um, yeah. And when I'm looking at the pro football focus grades, too, with the defensive end position, Lonnie Phelps was your among players who played at least 100 snaps. Lonnie Phelps was your best-rated defender. Um, let's see. The second-best edge you had was Malcolm Lee, who was about a 68 grade. Lonnie Phelps was like a 75. Jeremy Robinson was third at 67. So, again, you feel good about where Jeremy Robinson is. Uh, then all you have to go all the way down to Dean. No, wait. Dean Miller only played two snaps, so I'm not going to count that. Um Let's see, Demarius Alexander only played 14. Cole Petrus only played 14. Zion DeBose, who you lost. Uh, so he's gone. He doesn't play. Hayden Hatcher then becomes the next highest graded at a 57. And he only graded as a 39 in tackling, a 53 in run defense. Uh, then below that, you got to go down to Davion Westmoreland, who graded as a 49.5. Yeah, so the focus here You're is going big to be the focus here is going to be on Jeremy Robinson improving or being that sort of stalwart player. But as you just outlined, if he steps up but nobody else does, nobody else becomes the next second best guy, that Jeremy Robinson, Malcolm Lee type, then it may feel all for naught if Jeremy Robinson does step up because he's probably going to be neutralized a lot more. Yeah. So uh, there is some serious questions about your depth if you don't get some hit on, hits on your transfers, there's some serious questions about what the ceiling of this unit can be because of the fact that you don't really know right now. You've got some a, a lot of guys that 
you're just unsure about. That listen, if Patrick Joyner comes in and maybe he becomes that sort of game record type, boom, there you go. Suddenly you feel a lot better. If Austin Booker comes in and he's the guy that can rotate in and make make big plays when you need him to, problem solved. You just don't know right now. No. You just don't know right now. And it's kind of an interesting situation because we've been so used to talking about the different position groups for KU and how everyone's coming back. We have a lot of certainty about what we think this team is going to be in a lot of areas. And so then you get to the defensive end group, and it's like you don't know what to do because it is that one area where you don't know. There is no certainty. There is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, I think, frustrating a little bit because it's like, okay, well, and not only that, it's probably the most important position group on the defense in the modern game, at least, mm-hmm. you got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, and it's it's questions at every level. It's questions who's going to be your top guy, or, or not necessarily who's going to be your top guy. I feel like it's Jeremy Robinson. But, but what's the ceiling going to reach be? that you know level of where you've had the last guys? That's the one I feel least worried about. To be clear, of these questions I'm about to ask, but you know, then you have a question about who's going to be the other starter. Then you have a question about who are going to be the guys who are the backups. Then you have a question about what's the depth of the team, even for the number three, number four guys on the roster that you're kind of rotating in or that might have to come into different situations if there's injury. There are just a lot of questions about this position group. I think to me, clearly, this is the. Headed into the year. Again, doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way. Because, again, we had questions about the receiver group last year just because it was unproven. That's yeah. the way this is. Yeah. doesn't mean there's not talent in the group. just means it's unproven and there are the most questions. This is the position group I feel like is the biggest weakness right now on the team. Yes. And to your point, last year that was pretty much what was being said about the wide receivers. But I don't think anybody doubted that Lawrence Arnold, Luke Graham, Quentin Skinner were more talented just players. Just didn't know. There's just unknowns. It was a lot of unknowns. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if Austin Booker, like, hits his potential, if Patrick Joyner is a good veteran defensive end for you, if Dylan Brooks does come around, all of a sudden we're going to look at this group, you know, a lot differently uh, from that light. But uh, right now, confidence scale, better, worse, or the same than last year? <laughs> yeah, I think it's got to be worse, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's... No Lonnie Phelps. There's no, you have no Lonnie Phelps. You have no real, true returning commodity in terms of a major star-level player. Jeremy Robinson maybe might get there. Patrick Joyner maybe could be there, but not right now. Now, I, I I think the interesting question here is, let's say Patrick Joyner does become that level of impact player, but it takes him until like week seven or eight. Is that is that enough for you to feel good? That's a good if it question. takes him half the season? I guess, because I don't know what the alternative is. The alternative I don't know. Is I might just be that nobody is, steps up yeah, ever, the alternative right? Is it might just be even worse. So, yeah, I guess. That'd make me feel a little better, but I but don't I know how much better. But I think right now, going into August, with fall camp about to start tomorrow, you got to feel worse. You yeah, feel worse. I think so. Which, I think this is our first position that we've definitively both said worse. I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah. Defensive tackle, I can't remember what I you think, said if you said I think same. I said same to worse. I said sneaky better. But this is the first one we've both sneaky, said is worse. Sneaky better. Sneaky better. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe going back to the defensive tackle though, if the defensive tackle are sneaky better, maybe that can maybe, help the defensive ends. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can help them with blitzes. Maybe I don't know. There's something there that, that you can kind of figure it out. Yeah, and the, so the part of this conversation that we didn't really touch on is if Craig Young is just becomes like your blitzing linebacker and he's getting a bunch of sacks, maybe everything yeah. we just said is kind of all wiped away a little bit if 
you are still able to make those big impact plays. It just comes from your linebackers blitzing. Yeah, 100%. And if, if going back to the idea of if, if you used at certain times Craig Young is a sub-defensive end in past situations, um, then yeah. at that point you just need the you just need a good run stopping defensive end, and then he's your pass rushing defensive end, and you know you can kind of make that yeah. work by. I didn't really I didn't really want to bring Craig Young up though because no, it's, it's he, a good part. as yeah. of right now it, he is solidly a linebacker slash hybrid talk player. Yes, but yeah, so anyway, whatever, you can help but, that position. Yeah, so whatever his role might be, it could be to where maybe if you look exclusively at the defensive ends, they were the same or maybe a little bit worse than last year. But if Craig Young is a dude who gets who ends up getting the same number of sacks that like Lonnie Phelps had, then maybe it's like, yeah, the position the the position group itself, the DNs were not as good, but you made up for that with great plays from your linebackers blitzing, Craig Young. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll have our linebacker preview on tomorrow's show. David Lesky is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. But coming up on the other side, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, Jonathan Taylor stuff, the running back for the Colts. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. The Kansas City Royals swept the Minnesota Twins. They have done it. They have earned a sweep. They are, I don't know, maybe setting up the classic Royals like final month or two of the season where they go like 20 and 10 over a month and get everybody excited and then it doesn't translate at all into the next year. But nonetheless, people are not happy about that as we bring on David Lesky of Inside the Crown here because the Royals basically viewed Nicky Lopez as being Icky Lopez. They thought he was gross. They traded him away for Taylor Hearn, who's a player who they could have picked up for free like a week ago. Uh, he's a 28-year-old reliever. Uh, there's there's a lot that I think goes into this trade, David, so I'm just going to give you an open floor. Thoughts on the Royals' return and dishing away Nicky Lopez? Uh, do you still have to abide by FCC rules or no? Unfortunately, yes. Okay, so give me two seconds. Just got to re reconfigure a little bit. Um, I it just I don't get it. I don't. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, all right, let, let, there there are so many angles to break this down from, and and I don't know what the right one to start in because it's kind of a circle. So like, you're not. There's no wrong place to start here. The value of Nikki Lopez, honestly, probably was about right. For Taylor Hearn, okay. Hearn, I don't know. I mean, Lopez might be a little more valuable, but Hearn's a lefty who can throw ninety six and and can get strikeouts. So, assuming that it's close enough, whatever. The problem is uh, there. There are two major problems with this deal. The first is the actual player in return for Nicky Lopez, and I actually again I don't know if it's the first or the second. It's one of the two problems. Um, and it's that they got back a 28-year-old reliever who has the same amount of service time as the guy they traded. <laughs> they are not getting any kind of future value for this deal, which it, it, that, that, that part, that, that's, that's 1A, let's say. 1B is that Taylor Hearn isn't good. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I get that Nikki Lopez doesn't have a, a, a boatload of value or anything, but Hearn is not good, and for a team on pace for 114 losses, they've upped their their wins to a 48 pace. Uh, for that team to trade Nicky Lopez for a player like that, just don't make the trade. Like, just release the guy. <laughs> At that point, 
there is there is no value in that. Or trade for cash. They love trading for cash. Like, just that part doesn't make sense. And now, point two, as you mentioned, which probably actually is the first point, if we're being real, they could have had Taylor Hearn for, like, I think the Braves sent some cash considerations for him a week ago. <laughs> J.J. Piccolo said after the trade, we've liked him for a while. What does a while mean? <laughs> days? Like, yeah, we, we, we liked him all week. We really thought, once we saw the Braves pick him up, we were like, <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had seen that come across the wire because I wanted him. No, you, you, missed, you missed out. And, and then you went and traded an asset to get a guy you could have had for nothing but money a week earlier. And that is worse than trading Jermaine Dye for Nathan Perez because at least you traded a player for somebody who you were wrong about Somebody who used hey, there's our starting shortstop. Terrible trade, but okay. Like that's that. This is the new bar. This is the new bar for the worst trade I've ever seen because it had no purpose. There was no value in it, and it was not thought out. Yeah, I think basically what you're saying is the value itself of the trade is not bad. It's the process of the trade. It's not yes. necessarily the result, and I think 100%. that's yeah. There's two parts of the process that are most worrisome for me because I, I I do imagine the little snippet that came out from the Kansas City Star article talking to J.J. Piccolo. Now, some of that was a little overblown because if you if you read yeah. the, the full part of it, there was a little more context there. But still, uh, the parts about, you know, maybe trading guys for uh, more major league ready guys basically implies to me that J.J. Piccolo thinks – they're closer to turning this thing around than, than needing to go on a long rebuild, which has been the reason that they can't get out of this rebuild because they won't actually reset. That's problematic. Yes. But the other part of it, to your point on they could have just traded cash for Taylor Hearns if they wanted him a week ago, and you saw some people just wondering, well, did they trade Nicky Lopez then for, for this return because it's just a salary dump? That almost implies to me that the ownership – is not willing to spend like any money on this thing. And obviously they didn't really spend much money in, in free agency with Jordan Lyles being the big headliner move. But I think some people were ready to chalk that up as, okay, this is just them testing out the young players. They want to see who, uh, you know, what they have to fill, what they don't have to fill. And then maybe next offseason they'll spend a little bit more money. I don't know, man. If, if you're not willing to pay whatever, I, I can't imagine the Braves spent that much money getting Taylor Hearn. And if you're trying to get off the table on a salary dump for a guy who's only making like a little over a million dollars, that's a little scary to me about how much ownership is going to be willing to invest, I guess, long term. Maybe. Um, although I, I think that, look, the Rangers could have used Nicky Lopez. I mean, Corey Seager, I don't know if you saw him in the IL. I haven't looked, but he was when Hearn was the So... I think you'd be hard-pressed to tell me they couldn't have made this trade a week ago just traded Lopez to the Rangers, not the Braves. And then you look at it and you go, okay, I don't like this trade because I don't like Taylor Hearn. And that's it. You're done. It's over. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. hey, thanks for coming. Bad trade, whatever. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that it was – I don't know that it was a straight salary dump. Um, and I don't know that it says a lot about ownership, although I don't know that it doesn't. So let's let's not pretend like that's me saying no, no, they're going to spend money. I still think I I feel confident in believing this that they are going to spend in some way, whether it's money or trade capital and money or whatever, because again, they're going to put a stadium on the ballot in April. 
I don't know. I mean, I guess if it's tied to the Chiefs, maybe there's something to it. Um, it doesn't really matter because the Chiefs are going to get what they want. But I don't know that they can go into a, a vote and say, hey, this is our team. It's Guy Garcia with Melendez, <laughs> you know, Perez, Pasquantino, whatever. I, I don't think they can do that next season and, and come away with a win at the ballot. So I think they're going to spend money in some way, like I said. I, so I don't know that it necessarily says a whole lot about ownership. I just, I guess I don't know that it doesn't. It's just, it, to me, it says more about J.J. Piccolo and a flawed, and a flawed process than it does about ownership. Well, the trade deadline is tomorrow, so we'll see if uh, any more Royals get dealt away. I believe at 5 p.m. Central time tomorrow. Yep. Um, there's There's been some recent, I don't know, rumblings. It doesn't seem anything like too large of, of rumors, but enough to make it interesting. With Brady Singer, who as of a couple weeks ago, not someone who, you know, we, we were tossing in these conversations. It was mostly Scott Barlow and Nicky Lopez and these guys. Uh, maybe a little bit of rumblings there. Maybe some more rumblings about Carlos Hernandez, even with the control given. Which of those two do you think would be more likely to be traded by tomorrow, Brady Singer or Carlos Hernandez? Uh, probably Carlos Hernandez, just because from what I understand, and, and this is not what the Royals want to do necessarily, but from what I understand, the interest in him has been crazy. So it might get to a point that some team offers four guys that just DSA'd for Carlos Hernandez, and the Royals can't say no. So um, that, was, that, was really, that was mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, JJ. Um, make a good trade and I'll stop. But um, I, I think that there are so many teams interested in Carlos Hernandez, and rightfully so. I mean, come on. You see this stuff. He threw three days in a row, and yesterday he was blowing 100 by guys in the ninth inning. <laughs> he, he, is, he has figured out how to pitch back-to-back days. He, he's figured out how to pitch back-to-back-to-back days. Like, this is a guy you can ride into October, I think, especially with the off days like that. that so, yeah, he's a guy teams will teams want. So I think that's why he is more likely. I I could see Singer going though. I mean, he is not a number two starter, but he's not a number five either. I think that he he's a guy who you feel pretty comfortable saying he's going to go out there and give you five to seven innings and. You know, there'll be the occasional rough start, but when we look at his numbers, I put this in today's newsletter since May 11th. He's got a 405 ERAS, uh, fielding independent pitching of three, I'd rather number 350, 360, somewhere in there. I mean, he's been really a lot better than I realized. So, yeah, what, three years of control after this season? Um, he's not making a ton of money. The numbers this year aren't going to force him into a new a big time raise next year too. So any team can play on him. Yeah. I don't know. I think that there's, there's a market for him. I think either, I think both could go, but I think there's just a little more interest in Hernandez. Going back to the JJ Piccolo, I guess kind of process about wanting more major league ready guys though. Does that make it very unlikely either would get traded since they could be, in theory, part of a 2024-2025 Royals team that uh, was a playoff team in in his mind, which I I don't know how realistic that is. But nonetheless, does that significantly decrease uh, the chances both get dealt? 
Yeah, that that's where it gets fishy and, and difficult because if you're wanting guys who can help you in the next two years, those two guys can help you in the next two years. <laughs> so I, I think it comes down to is there a high minors package, which I think is, is wrong. This is the wrong way to go about it. But just thinking from the Royals' perspective, is there a high minors package that a team says that we've got three players for Brady Singer? You know, do the Cardinals say, we'll give you Dylan Carlson, Alex Burleson, and I don't even know who, it doesn't matter, one other player for Brady Singer? If so, I think he's gone. But if some other team comes up and says, here's a toolsy guy in A-ball and, and a 95-mile-per-hour lefty in A and a rookie league, I don't, I don't think they trade him. I don't think they trade him for that. So just a matter of if some team is willing to give them the return that is, has some proximity to the majors, which, again, I think is the wrong decision. I think you, you can't pigeonhole yourself in any way. It's what Howard Baird used to do. It's what Dayton Moore has done. Like, it's, just, it's, a, um, it's a tradition in Kansas City. Does it make any sense to hold Scott Barlow till next year with the ERA ballooning up? Uh, yeah, that's tough because the problem with Scott Barlow, like I, I've said this before, I don't teams don't care as much about the numbers as people think they do. They care about the metrics. They care about the spin rates and the, you know things that that don't necessarily always show up in the ERA. That said. The problem with Barlow is one of the metrics is the velocity, and it keeps going down every year. And at some point, because he doesn't throw enough strikes, um, and he never has, he's never had especially great command, um, but at some point, the velocity becomes too low for his command. And the margin for error becomes so slim that you just can't count on him. And, and I don't know that that's going to happen next year. And I don't know that he can't reinvent himself in a way. You know, I think about a guy like Brad Boxberger. I saw him in Kansas City. He was terrible. He reinvented himself. He had a couple of really good years after that. Um, Scott Barlow could absolutely do that. David Robertson is a guy. He, his, I don't know what his average velocity is this year, but he, his velocity dropped from when he was at his peak with the Yankees. And he's turned in a really nice kind of second act in his career. So it's possible. I just think it makes, it, it makes the market a lot more risky for him. Um, I would move now because the the metrics outside of the velocity are all fantastic. I mean, fastball spin, all that stuff is is there. <laughs> it's it, it's everything that that the analytical teams look for. Um, I just worry a little bit that you know you drop from ninety two, ninety three, ninety three, ninety four, I guess really to ninety one, ninety two. Eh, all of a sudden, those metrics matter less, and so I I would probably not hold on to him at this point well besides all the player movement stuff trade deadline tomorrow uh as we mentioned royals did sweep the twins yesterday so i guess we should take advantage of that while we have it any signs from the series that they're maybe turning a bit of the corner some of the young players are putting it together uh going from terrible to being bad now or i, I don't know what, yeah. what what do you make of the weekend well i mean bobby witt I mean, yeah. just just bobby witt done okay that 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 it alone is is See, we should have been spending this entire time talking about Bobby Wood Jr. <laughs> like, really, truly, the fact that we this is the first time we have mentioned his name, mm-hmm. the Royals did us dirty. Because this should have been fun. Bobby Wood Jr. had nine hits this weekend. Like, come on. That was fun. And he's been really good for two months now. Kyle Isbell has turned things around. He's been good for a little while. 
Michael Massey has looked good. Um, Dylan Coleman, man, we, we talked about Carlos Hernandez. Dylan Coleman in the eighth inning yesterday was as filthy as I think I've ever seen him look. And that's including when he's been good in the big leagues. That was pure filth on that slider yesterday. I mean, that was really nice to see. You, you can kind of, assuming they don't trade Hernandez, you can kind of start to see how a bullpen comes together. And it's Coleman pitching well. It's Hernandez. It's Austin Cox, who Friday night, I thought he was done for the season. When he hit first base and went down, I don't know if you were watching, but he, he yeah. awkwardly lands on his ankle because Salvador Press had some real funny feeds um, at first base. It was He played pretty well there, but it, the feeds were interesting. Um, he goes down. I thought he was done. And then he gets this cocky walk, gets back to the mound, and then throws, throws 94 pass guys. Like, he's a guy who I think you can look at as maybe a potential bullpen piece. There's John McMillan and Will Klein. You can see a bullpen coming together. And when you see that, when you add in Witt, and Melendez has been playing well, and Massey and Isbell, and Pasquantino coming back next season, you can start to say, okay, there's a picture in place. It's, it's getting there. You can kind of see that, and I think that you know, it's easy to look at that after a three-win weekend, but also it's nice to see there's actual, there's, there are actual results to point to also. Well, I, I think for, for me, Bobby Witt doing what he did, it shows you about if he is a superstar, yeah. I mean, it just raises the team's floor so much. It's hard to be nearly close to as bad as they've been if he's playing like that. Uh, now, yes. now, for Player of the Week, I, I feel like it's got to be Bobby Witt, right? So if you want to talk more about him, you can, but also I'll leave an opening for you if you want to pick a Player of the Week not named Bobby Witt. So the funny thing about Witt, he went 0 for 8 in the two games before this weekend. And he still hit 423 with an 808 <laughs> for the week. Like, it's bonkers. So, yes, he's the player of the week. There are a couple other guys. Kyle Isbell had a really good week. You know, 175, way to run straight plus. He hit 400 with an 800 slug. Um, that was really nice to see. Michael Massey had a 9.5% strikeout rate. Um, had a home, a couple, one home run, two? I can't remember. At least a home run. Um, and then the play he made on Friday night, or Saturday night, that double play that he started with it six to five and runners on second and third and one out. I, I don't know that I've seen a better and more in-game impactful double play. The game didn't matter, so whatever, but like that was gorgeous. Um, so I want to mention him and Isbell. And, hey, Ryan Yarbrough, 13 innings, zero walks, one three eight ERA this week. I think the Royals are making a mistake if they don't trade him because there is a market, 100%. Okay. Uh, but it's Bobby Bay. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's a good way to finish. Uh, by the way, I will throw in Joe Panic for the double play and make you sad to finish the interview. Stop. <laughs> okay. We had, we had to end sad. We started sad. We had to end sad. We had to bookend it that way. <laughs> Uh, it's the sandwich with sad bread. Yeah, I exactly, exactly. Some uh, some good mustard in there, which was Bobby Witt Jr. or whatever condiment <laughs> you want on your sandwich. But yeah, outside of that, well, David, I appreciate corned it as beef, always. Yeah. yeah, corned beef. I love corned beef. Um, but yeah, uh, Reuben, whatever. Um, anyway, oh, yeah. you can check out all David's work. He'll be uh, profiling whatever happens between today and tomorrow for the trade deadline. Subscribe to his Substack right now inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time as always, man. Yep, thanks, Eric. All right, David Lesky again inside the crown, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. RCST football trivia next. 
Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour here. We get going for another day of RCST trivia. RCST football trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, McDonald's, Mr. D's Auto Wash, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. Check out 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering options all available. You can try the outdoor patio with... The weather when it's not overly hot. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, Haney Turkey Stack, Piper's Pipe and Hot Pasta, Hank Booth Burger, the Chicken Shirt, anything you want, all great at 23rd Street Brewery. And don't forget about their beer, which you can get to go to with their Crowlers. I forget if it's tonight or tomorrow night. They do a two for ten Crowlers. I think it is tonight, so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, for sure. So our first matchup of the day is Blake Farrell against Garrett Hart. Then we'll have Kyle Martin against Lane Gillespie and Chris Yurchek against Aaron Mayer. Blake is our new number one ranked team in uh, in trivia. So we'll see how he does with the expectations here. Uh, Garrett Hart would actually be in the playoff picture right now. And then uh, our next matchups, Kyle Martin is receiving votes. Um, Chris Yurchek. Uh, was ranked last week, and so was Aaron Meyer. So, uh, or Aaron Mayer, excuse me. So, uh, should be uh, uh, some fun matchups uh, coming up today. But let's, without further ado, let's get into our first one. So, Blake Farrell, our new number one team, taking on Garrett Hart, who not ranked in the top ten. He would be in the playoff picture right now, though. Uh, Blake, I want to start with you. Seen that number one next to your name after your first week, where you tied for the most points with sixteen. What are your feelings going into this matchup? I like the ranking, but it really doesn't mean anything this early. Just got to keep winning and want to be there at the end. So, Garrett, uh, I guess you had a good first week, but now taking on the number one team, is it is it intimidating or I don't know, is, it, is this kind of a fun opportunity because you do get to be kind of the underdog and, you know, play with a chip on your shoulder against a top team and, and prove what you got? Uh, um, I think it'll be a cool opportunity. I think I definitely, I'm still kind of kicking myself because last week I definitely could have gotten 16, the one that I missed. Um, that was between two options. So hope it'll be pretty good. Um, just try not to get killed by too much. So <laughs> see what happens. Okay. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this will be a really good matchup. That's for sure. Um, I will go ahead and give you, Garrett, since you were the unranked team here, the call on the coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? I'll take heads. All right. Heads it is. It is heads. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Um, I'll go first. Okay. Going to get things going, and then Blake will be up second. We're going to start in the easy round of questions, just like normal. These are worth three points in the first quarter of play. First up, Garrett. This Jayhawks starting quarterback finished fourth in the country in completions per game in the 2009 season. Todd Reesing. Yep, Todd Reesing, that was his uh, final year as a starter at KU, fourth in completions per game, and you're on the board with three early points. All right, Blake, your first question to try to tie the score headed into the second quarter. This Jayhawks starting quarterback finished first in the Big 12 in ESPN's total QBR metric in 2022. Jalen Daniels. Yes, Jalen Daniels, and uh, he was actually number one in the entire country, not just the Big 12. All right, you guys both nailed the easy questions. It is three to three. We're tied up, headed into the second quarter of play. We're going to go back to you, Garrett. How many of their 11 games did Kansas win in the 2000 season, which was Terry Allen's final full season and second to last year at KU? 
let's see. I know it wasn't six because I didn't go to a bowl. Um, I'm going to go with four. Four is the correct answer. I don't know if that was one you knew or an educated guess. Either way, it counts all the same. It's worth six points, and you take a nine to three lead. Your six point question in the medium, Blake. How many of their 11 games did Kansas win in the 2001 season in which Tom Hayes eventually took over for Terry Allen, who was let go? Three? Three is the right answer. Again, I don't know if that was one you fully knew, educated guess, but either way, you guys both come up with the right answer. It is nine to nine. We're tied up at the halftime. We're heading into the third quarter all square. All right, this one is worth seven points into the hard round. Back to you, Garrett. In the early going of the 2006 season, Kansas needed a stop on a two-point conversion to earn a 21-19 win and avoid an upset by what Sunbelt school? Gosh. Um, they were in the Sunbelt at that time? Is that what it is, the question is? Um, yes, and I believe they're still in the Sunbelt. Ten seconds. Gosh, I think it's wrong. Um, Louisiana Tech. Uh, you had the Louisiana part. It is UL Monroe. Louisiana Monroe was the right answer there. And just like that, Blake, you have an opportunity to take your first lead of the game for seven points here in the third quarter. Blake, to begin the 2007 season 3-0, Jake Sharp rushed for a season-high 127 yards to help Kansas win 45-13 in a non-conference game against who? Ten seconds. Florida International. Florida International was on the slate that year, but the correct answer is Toledo. Toledo was the right answer there. I think FIU was week two of the season. Now we got a good one, though. It's 9-9. Nine to nine. Let's see if anybody can pull out the really hards. We, they're still very difficult, but we made them a little bit more gettable uh, starting this week and on. So we'll see if somebody can come through with our second really hard answer of the year. Back to you, Garrett. This is worth eight points. Wearing the number 98 uniform, this Jayhawk defensive lineman, Tied for the Big 12 lead of three forced fumbles in the 2006 season. Gosh. Um, 2006. Ten seconds. I'm just going to throw out a last name, Patterson. The correct answer is Paul Como. Paul Como, the right answer there. Still really tough in the really hard round. We didn't make them too easy, but at least it's not a, you know, name, I don't know, one leg McKenzie from the 1915 team. All right, uh, Blake, your question for the win in the really hard round. Wearing the number 84 uniform, this Jayhawk defensive lineman led Kansas with three forced fumbles 
in 2009 to go with his seven tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. Wheeler. Wheeler is correct. Jeff Wheeler is the right answer. And just like that, Blake, you show why you're the number one team. You hit the really hard question and you take the win 17 to nine. That is a heck of a hit there. So you seem to know that one right off the bat. Uh, do, do you remember Jeff Wheeler well? For some reason, I just remember that 84 number for him. So I was pretty lucky. If, if the questions would have been reversed, did you know Paul Como? Heck no. <laughs> okay. Garrett, if the questions would have been reversed, did you know Jeff Wheeler? I did not. Okay. And uh, take me back for both of you guys to the medium round. Uh, Garrett, you first. Educated guess, did you feel like you knew it on the four? For the second round, you said? Yeah, so, for the uh, um, wins. I just knew they didn't go to a bowl, um, and I was guessing it probably wasn't five, so I just kind of guessed four. And if the tables would have been turned for Blake's question, I had three in my mind, so – um, I would have guessed I would have known it either way. So that one, I think, kind of worked out for you. Blake, uh, yeah. I don't know, was there was there any question that uh, Garrett got that, that you might have gotten the other way if it was reversed? Um, I might have missed that second question because I was between three and four, so I just would have thrown out a guess on one of those. And then the three was an educated guess, but I wasn't 100% sure. But I remember that I think we beat, like, Wyoming late in the year in, like, a makeup game, and I figured we had two before that, so – well, you, you came through the really hard question, the difference there. But, Garrett, if, if you can put up nine points per game, that's going to put you on a good path, which so far you're doing here. And you've obviously been very close to getting even more than that. Blake, though, uh, that's a nice performance with your uh, first week this year of being number one. Good work, guys, and we'll see you both next week. Yeah, thank you, guys. Hey, thanks. Best of luck. Well, that's why Blake's number one hits the really hard question. He wins 17-9. to Garrett is not going to go away, though. From what we've learned in, in trivia, you go back to basketball, he pushed Brian Rainey, who was a phenomenal four contestant, uh, to the really hard round. He pushed Blake Farrell here. I mean, that was almost an overtime matchup between the two of them. Uh, Garrett is certainly someone who, you know, with this loss, maybe it's tougher to, to be like a top four seed or something, but... He's somebody who I think profiling right now to be like a playoff team that is going to maybe cause some headaches in the playoffs for uh, some 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 teams that he could be matched up with. Blake, though, uh, certainly with an impressive performance to back up his number one ranking uh, from that regard. All right, RCST Trivia is brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy. They're hooking us up with Trophy for the uh, champion uh, of this year. They're also hooking us up with some RCST engraved tumblers, water bottles, whatever you want to call them that look awesome. Uh, they hold like 30-something ounces of liquid so uh, they're great stuff for your everyday. They look really cool. Uh, you can get custom awards, trophies, whatever it is done with Jayhawk Trophy. They even are engraving experts, so if it's just you need something engraved on a plaque or you have like a perpetual award or belt or whatever it is, you bring it in, they can engrave whatever you want. But they also do stuff like the tumblers. Uh, they have you know binders and stuff in there that you can get like a custom front to. They've got all sorts of stuff. I would just recommend checking out Jayhawk Trophy in Lawrence or, or looking them up online and seeing all the great stuff that they have. All right, this is RCST Trivia. We'll be back for our second matchup Kyle Martin Lane Gillespie can Lane get revenge from the basketball season or can Kyle bounce back from kind of an ugly week one win but a win nonetheless on the other side you're listening to RCST trivia brought to you by Johnny's Tavern Jayhawk Trophy McDonald's Mr. D's Auto Wash and 23rd Street Brewery with Nick Springer I'm Derek Johnson this is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN depend on it welcome back into RCST trivia 
You're listening on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, and McDonald's. 2023 is the 70th year anniversary for Johnny's. They're having all sorts of specials wherever your local Johnny's is. 13 locations from Topeka to the newest store in uh, Raymore, Missouri. Try all the great food, all the great beer, including their new blue-collar lager beer. You can only get a Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. Kyle Martin is a uh, honorable mention pick. He wasn't in the top 10. He did receive votes. I forgot to actually, on the graphic, put the honorable mentions. Oh, they're receiving votes. So that's votes. my fault. Uh, for what it's worth, if you missed the top 10 over the weekend, we released a graphic. One is Blake Farrell. Two is Michael Plank. Three is Isaac Henderson. All three of them got a different first place vote. Uh, Eric Hansies in fourth. Ryan Goodwin, fifth. Skinner and Wenninger, Wenninger is sixth. Blake McFarland seventh. Andrew Wymore eighth. Brad Wondell ninth. And Kyle Coffey tenth. And then the honorable mention picks were Ryan Brown, Justin Nichols, and Kyle Martin. I think you have to assume that Blake Farrell is going to remain at number one after his performance. Yes, already getting seventeen away, so. points. Yep. going to be tough for for somebody to uh, surpass him. So uh, we'll see where that is. Although you know. Michael Plank and Isaac got a number one vote, so for True, yeah, it was close. Yeah, the people who didn't vote Blake, maybe he doesn't stay number one, right? Uh, but yeah, it's going to be tough for him to to move out of those kind of yeah, top a, spots. It's a very very scientific mm. poll, by the way, like yeah. the most scientific poll you can think of. <laughs> That's what this poll is. Well, this is a big matchup. Uh, he's honorable mention. Lane's looking to get a uh, victory here, and both these guys with a uh, opportunity to uh, you know make the playoffs. But if Kyle wins this thing, he clinches the division, and then at that point. For Lane and Aaron Mayer, it would just be about trying to play for an at-large berth in the playoff. Yeah, yeah. and listen, Lane is always a very scrappy competitor. He's he's the type of guy that it, you're never going to get an easy win against him. He always is going to show up and, and play hard against you. So, Kyle, based off of his performance last week, he's got to step it up this week if he wants to get a win. Yep, we'll see what we have for you with our second matchup of the day. So this is our second trivia matchup of the day. We have Lane Gillespie taking on Kyle Martin, and uh, this is a possible revenge opportunity from basketball. Lane and Kyle met in the second round. Kyle ended up getting through, and Kyle made it all the way to the Phenomenal Four. Divisional matchup, this is the uh, Mr. D's Auto Wash Conference. Our last matchup was a uh, McDonald's Conference matchup here as part of our Monday division. Uh, Lane lost his first matchup, but it was a, a non-conference matchup, so you know it was a close game. Doesn't matter. He actually scored more points than Kyle, who came out with an overtime victory in kind of a, an odd overtime game, six to three through overtime. Uh, Kyle, I want to start with you here. Uh, I don't know, like, how, how do you approach that win in Week One? Is it something where it's just I'm happy to get a win, or is it no? This was clearly a sign that like I, I need to do to do more. Yeah, certainly happy to get the win, uh, I think, between those two options. Uh, you know, Aaron had beat me last year, and uh, I know uh, he, he didn't have the best week heading into the matchup either. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was odd uh, timing and everything. But, you know, I, I think what uh, Aaron and I both realized coming out of that matchup is if we would have been in the opposite order, you might have had a 16 to 16 overtime. <laughs> so I didn't feel too badly about it, um, but hopefully... Uh, yeah, just looking at a couple things will help me get past that easy question hump. Well, uh, I forgot to mention this in our last matchup, but Blake Farrell has uh, clinched the win of the McDonald's Conference. You have the opportunity to do that here today. If you win this matchup, you'll be 2-0 and in your, your conference. Now, that doesn't mean that you know anybody else can't make it because we do have that largest make the playoffs. So, Lane, there is some added pressure there to try to keep the division open and beating Kyle, but obviously the bigger storyline here is you trying to get that revenge uh, what have you done to get ready for this week's matchup? 
definitely spent more time checking over the media guides and everything. I didn't, you know, study as much as I wanted to, but uh, took some time out of my day today. Uh, started off the day playing some NCAA football, so I have <laughs> more college football in, in, uh, in my brain ready to go. So um, I would say I'm more prepared than I was last week. And, uh, you know, last week I, I feel like I probably would have gotten more points if the, uh, you know, the turns were reversed. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, hopefully you come out with a dub today. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a study strategy. You pull up NCAA 14, you go to the rosters, and you just make all the different years rosters of KU. You could definitely do that, right? I don't I've really done time, that. I've really done that already. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, Lane, well, I mean, I'm, you can just you could just still you can still download them, and, they, you, can, just import and them. Uh, you can go year by year if you want. So you know that's yeah, you can. That's one thing that I did is download 2013's roster. So okay. dude, you can get Puka Williams, and he's like 99 speed, and it's awesome. <laughs> uh, Lane, I'm gonna give you the coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? Tails. All right, tails never fails, except for this time. It is heads. I think we're on a heater with heads here. <laughs> I haven't kept track of the coin tosses. Uh, should, nonetheless, Kyle, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, I'll go second. All right, Lane, you're going to be up first. We'll start in the first quarter of play. The easy questions are worth three points. All right, Lane, for you, what conference rival did Kansas beat 40-37 to at Arrowhead Stadium to close out the regular season in 2008. Don't like this school one bit. That'd be Mizzou. But that'll make you happy that they beat them. That was a fun one. That was the uh, the snow game. All right, Kyle. Trying to tie it at the end of the first quarter. What Big 12 foe from the Lone Star State did Kansas beat 24-21 to in overtime on senior day of 2016 that got the opposing coach fired. Texas. Yep, took uh, six turnovers from Texas, and now actually Chiefs third-string quarterback Shane Bouchelle was the starting quarterback of that game for the Longhorns. All right, 3-3 three to three after the first quarter into the second quarter of play. Back to you, Lane. The 1962 Jayhawks went 6-3-1 and one in part to this sophomore running back and future NFL Hall of Famers 1,125 rushing yards. Is that Gale Sayers? It is Gale Sayers. That's right. All-time <clears throat> legend at KU. All right, you got six points. You have surpassed what you did last week, so that's always good to have the arrow pointed up. Kyle, you got a chance to do that as well right here on your medium question. This was six for you. This legendary quarterback and future AFL, American Football League champion, earned all Big 8 honors for his junior season performance in 1960. John Hadle? Yep, John Hadle played a lot of different positions, also a KU legend. All right, there we go. It's 9-9. to We did it. All right, on to the second half of play. These ones are worth seven points in the hard round. Back to you, Lane. Playing from 2002 to 2005. Name this Jayhawk receiver from DeSoto, Texas, who is one of five in school history at KU with over 2,000 career receiving yards. Ah, uh, shoot. Um, hmm. I didn't look at receivers as much as I wanted to, mm. so... Um, Ten seconds. A 
Lob something out there. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's going to be wrong, but Desmond Briscoe. Mm. Correct answer is Mark Simmons. Mark oh. Simmons, if that name rings a bell for you. Who? Exactly. Thank you, Springer. <laughs> hey, you say that, but now you just clowned yourself because there's going to be a lot of KU fans listening to this who started watching in 2002. Oh, I, and they're going to be like, I knew who he was. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sure you did. <laughs> Looking at the answer right, right. Here, I knew who it was. All right, Kyle, this one for you to take the lead. This Jayhawk defensive end wearing the number 92 uniform earned Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week in 2004 for his November 20th performance against Missouri in a KU win. Man, I'll go with uh, McMillan. Got it. Bang. David McMillan Bang. is the correct answer. It looks like you were between a couple guys. Who who else were you between there? I actually wasn't. Um, uh, on Friday, we had the Charlton Keith yep. question, who was number 99. So I knew it wasn't Charlton Keith. And McMillan was the only other guy from that range other than Jermile Ashley, who is probably the really hard question for uh, Lane Gillespie now. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay. Well, see if he gave away that info. All right, Lane. You got to hit this to take the lead. If you can answer this really hard question, you would uh, put the pressure on Kyle and move back in front. This is worth eight points. It is 16-9 Kyle right now headed into the fourth quarter. Lane, Kansas beat Texas Tech 37-34 in 2019 after the Red Raiders initially blocked the first field goal attempt but fumbled. That fumble was recovered by what Jayhawk player? Oh, crap. I was at that game. It was a center. I know who fumbled it. Douglas Coleman fumbled it. It was a center that recovered it. Oh, man. I rushed the field on that game. Dang it. That was so much fun. Um, 10 seconds. <sighs> oh, man. Jacobs. No, that's not it. The correct answer. You were right. It was an offensive lineman, Kevin Fetter. Kevin Fetter. Oh, I don't remember that name. I just okay. knew it was a lineman. <laughs> I think he was a former transfer from like Houston or Ohio State or something. I don't know. Something. Okay. That that's a good effort though, nonetheless, Lane. Uh it's a good effort. Nine points. Like nine point if you can get to nine every week, I think you feel good about it and you put yourself at least oh, in, yeah. in range for uh, you know, tiebreakers and stuff with total points. Kyle. Congratulations. You have clinched the division. You have clinched the spot in the playoffs, but you have the opportunity to be the first person with a perfect score in their matchup so far in RCST Trivia Football for 2023. All right, Kyle, your question. Kansas took a 22-21, then 24-21 after they got a two-point conversion, but specifically they took a 22-21 lead in 2019 at Iowa State on a two-yard touchdown pass. From Carter Stanley to who? That was a game uh, Iowa State won 41-31 for what it's worth. Say Earl Bostic. You're on the right track of it. It wasn't a uh, usual suspect. Spencer Rowe. Spencer Rowe, who was like a backup fullback 
caught the touchdown there, so that was the uniqueness of that one. Uh, nonetheless, though, Kyle, you come through with a victory 16-9. to In the end, the hard round was the difference there for you to come through. Um, nice bounce-back performance for you in terms of the points. If you would have got the, the other question, though, if you would have got the Mark Simmons one, would you have hit that? No, uh, I remember Simmons, but I wrote down uh, Brandon Rideau. Mm. Um, so, no, I, I would have said Rideau and obviously been wrong. Uh, Lane, would you have known by chance the David McMillan one? No, I wouldn't have. Okay. Well, uh, in the end, Lane, uh, Kyle is your nemesis at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just keep chipping away. I'm sure you'll get him at, at some point. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll it's get hard a third to beat, It's hard to beat 16 points. So, yeah. You know, I, I got to give him a ton of credit there. Yeah. You know, tip of the credit cap. Credit's due. Uh, well, Kyle, you clinched the division. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. I stumbled my way through a couple straight days. <laughs> football trivia to get a division championship so I'll, I'll take it all right well guys i appreciate the time and we'll see you both next week absolutely awesome. thanks derek thanks lane see you yep. so kyle comes through I'm, I'm glad that we made the question i mean don't get me wrong the questions are still hard right it's yes. football it's still but difficult. i think we made them just a smidge easier yeah it feels like the tweaks we made were, to were be good. working because yeah, these are much. these are the score like I don't want every game to be 24-24. Yeah. But this is perfect. If you have basically it being around 10 to 9, 16 to 9, yeah. you know, as opposed to 6, six to, to three, 3 or you know yeah. 9 to 0 or something, those are better scores. So I'm yeah. I'm glad what we've been able to do. Um Yeah, I like the adjustments we made. Yeah. But Kyle man, that is a such a big difference from what he did week 1 to week yes. 2. Yes. Huge yeah, no, he, swing. he needed to step up mm-hmm. and, and he did. And he he's did. he's like the team who now he won in week 1, so maybe this is a bad analogy, but you know how there's always that team who like week 1, it's usually I I noticed this a lot like it happened with KU football during the David Beatty days. I think it was like uh one year they played Ohio. And I want to say Ohio it was like 2015-2016 lost week 1 to like some I don't know, bad school, some but some max school or something. They blasted KU. And then they Yes, they beat them by like 16 <laughs> points in Lawrence. And it was like the the progress that some teams make from week one to week two is yeah. pretty exponential. I think that's well, the I biggest mean, growth. The, the th- listen, the reality situation is in college, you don't you don't get any preseason games. You don't get any yeah. warm-up games. That's why you see so many teams play FCS schools because, listen, it's totally different no matter how long or how much you prepare in fall camp or whatever. It is totally different when you get to a game. Totally different. And you're right. Sometimes that first game can be a real wake-up call of like, oh, you know, we need to do this, this, and this, or we need to whatever, right? And that's where I do think you can see a jump like that sometimes from from those teams. And so, yeah, maybe Kyle going into his week one matchup thought he was a little on steadier ground and then was went back in the film room and was like, man, we suck. We got to we gotta change some things up here and get better. And he did. Yeah. But listen, I would just want to say I love Lane's strategy of playing NC Football 14 to prepare. That, to <laughs> me, is genius. Just last night, I have a dynasty of I am Western Kentucky. Five straight national championships with Western Kentucky. Wow. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank the you. Hilltoppers on top. Thank you. All right, we have uh, one more trivia matchup coming up. Chris Yurchek, Aaron Mayer. It's a uh, non-conference matchup. The two teams from cross-Monday divisions are going to face off with an opportunity for uh, both contestants to get their first win for Trivia 2023. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk and RCST Football Trivia on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. RCST Football Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, and McDonald's, as well as Mr. D's Auto Wash with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Our final matchup of the day, Chris Yurchak, 
and Aaron Mayer, both who were preseason top 10, both clearly know their stuff. Looking to bounce back, though, both with an 0-1 start. This will be a uh, non-conference matchup between the two. Yeah, these are two pretty strong contestants, right? I mean, these are two guys that are usually pretty good in basketball trivia. Both of them kind of had a rough start to the season in week one, but the beauty of football, plenty of time to try to come back and uh, get yourself back in the win column here. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Two good dudes that have been a part of not just football trivia, basketball trivia, uh, are consistent in this thing and are always great competitors. So let's get into our matchup, uh, third and final of the day. This is our third and final trivia matchup of the day. Chris Yurchak versus Aaron Mayer. Uh, a week ago, this would have been a top 10 matchup, but both fell in week one of the season. And uh, this is a cross-conference, cross-divisional matchup. Uh, Chris Yurchak out of the McDonald's conference lost in a tough one to Blake Farrell. And Aaron Mayer lost in an overtime matchup out of the Mr. D's Auto Wash conference to Kyle Martin. Um, so, you know, after suffering week one losses, this one does become an important matchup because the opportunity to try to make it in as an at-large is uh, very important at this point in time with both divisions being clinched uh, to this point in time. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you here. You lose week one, but you lose to the team who's now ranked number one. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Is it anything that you worry about or is it just uh, whatever, you know, he's really good? Well, it's a short season, so every loss hurts. Um, definitely a, a tough opponent, but I gotta take care of my own business. Aaron, you fell in overtime, which you know sometimes the way it goes in overtime, if you miss your first question, really sets you up in a poor way for for how that worked out, and that that's exactly what happened to you. Have you gotten over the overtime loss yet? Or loss yet? Are you any more fatigued for this matchup? <laughs> no, honestly, I feel somewhat fresh since it just happened on Friday. I retained a lot of that, all the information I studied on Friday as well. So, I don't know, I feel a little bit better, but that, that overtime loss, it, it sucked went, since I went one for five on questions. So, try to do better today. Yeah, and uh, we were just talking about this with Kyle in the earlier matchup today, but, you know, it was kind of unfortunate with the, uh, the, the timing. I think this affected Chris, too, that if your guys' questions would have been reversed, there would have been uh, some higher scoring for both of you guys in that first week of play. But that's the beauty of football one. You have more time to, to kind of make up for it. Um, Aaron, I'm going to give you the option here. Do you want heads or tails on the coin? Heads. All right. Heads. It is heads. The heads heater continues. Okay, Aaron, uh, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. All right. So you'll be up first. Chris will be up second. We'll start in the easy round. These questions are worth three points in the first quarter. Aaron, first name Earl. This KU left tackle started all 12 games for Kansas in 2021 before returning for 2022. Oh, my God. How am I blanking on this? This is an easy question. Oh, my God. Ten seconds. Jesus. Uh, Correct answer is Earl Bostick. Bostick was the last name that we were looking uh. for there. All right, Chris, you got a chance to take an early lead. First name, Mike. This KU center started all 12 games for Kansas in 2021 before returning in 2022 and now 2023. Oh, man. 
Oh no. <laughs> That's on the tip of my tongue. I knew Earl Bostic immediately. Uh, I can even picture his face. Ten seconds. What is his name? I don't got it. Sorry. The correct answer is yeah. No, no. There we go. Uh, Mike Mike Nowitzki. Nowitzki. Yep, that's it. Right one there. Uh, That's all right. Well, I mean, that was just that. We'll just call that a warm up. We'll just call that a warm up. We're gonna move up to the medium round. Uh, These are worth six points in the second quarter. Zero to zero is the score. All right, back to you, Aaron. How many games? Of the 10 games that they played in 1955, did Kansas win? I'm sorry. I just, whatever. What? I skipped ahead to the hard round, so we'll just do the hard and then the medium. Okay. <laughs> this is um, all out of sorts. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> all out of sorts here. Uh, two. Mm, so close. Mm. Correct answer was three. Again, I accidentally skipped ahead to the hard round, which is fine. Those are the questions it was going to be. So we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll go ahead to the medium round the next question. The correct answer, though, was three. All right, Chris, your question. We're going to ask you your hard one here. Uh, how many games? So this is worth seven. How many games of their 10 games in 1956 did Kansas win? I think we got a little bit better after 55 and won four games. Correct answer is also three. Both times it was three. All right. Now we're going back. We're going back. We're going to the medium questions. These are worth six. Sorry to do that to you. My fault. All right. Aaron, back to you. Worth six points. This Jayhawk junior tight end led the 2013 Jayhawks with five receiving touchdowns. What's his name? Mundine. Yep, Jemay Mundine, the correct answer. He was a real good receiving tight end. Up until this group of tight ends, probably the best tight end since the uh, Mangino days. All right, you're on the board. That feels good, Aaron. Six points there. Chris, let's see if you can match it. Your medium round question. This Jayhawk junior linebacker led the 2013 Jayhawks in tackles. Is that Heaney? That was Ben Heaney. Heaney and Deneen, right. usually the answers to the uh, linebacker questions over the last decade. All right, six to six, both on the board. We're heading to the fourth quarter. This is the really hard round. These are worth eight points. Let's see if somebody can sneak one away here. Aaron, you're up first. Prior to Samaje Pirine, what Missouri running back held the record for most rushing yards against Kansas, totaling 319 of them back in 1998? Have no clue. Ten seconds. Mm. Smith. <laughs> Correct answer is Devin West. Devin West ran north and south a lot against Kansas in that game. And then Samaj how, how long did it take you to come up with that? A long time. I thought about that all weekend long. <laughs> um, 
And then Samaje Piran blew past that by like 100 yards. Okay, uh, Chris, your question to try to win it in the really hard round. In 1990, what Missouri receiver set the then record for most receiving yards in a game against Kansas, totaling 231 of them? Um, let's go with East. <laughs> Correct answer <laughs> is Lindsey Collins. That was a bit of a uh, pain category back and forth. All right, well, Aaron, you are the overtime good luck charm here because we are going back to overtime. It is six to six. I gave you the opening coin toss. I'm going to give Chris the overtime coin toss. But before I do that, uh, just a reminder on the rules, whoever wins the toss will decide if they go first or second. The person who goes first will choose what category they answer. Should they answer correctly, the person who goes second will either choose to answer the same category and force a second overtime, to which the two will flip their turn in order, or they can answer a higher question and go for the win. Now, if the first person misses, second person has to answer any question, and they get the win. So, uh, all knowing that, Chris, do you want heads or tails on the coin? Uh, let's mix it up and go tails. All right. It's been heads a lot lately. It is heads again. Aaron, this time, last time the decision was out of your hands. This time the decision is in your hands. Do you want to go first or second? Second, please. Okay, so we're going to switch up the order. You'll go second. Derek, and yeah. Derek, is that still that Colorado coin? Um, This one is a United States of America crossing the Delaware coin. <laughs> okay, I just thought it might be weighted. Okay. All good. <laughs> the buffalo head is uh, the, too heavy. The committee. I'll take, I'll take it. The committee vetted the coin. I'll take a medium question. <laughs> okay. The, the committee vetted the coin. Don't worry. All right. So Chris is going to take a medium question for the first overtime. Chris, your question. James McClinton had his career high three and a half tackles for loss in a game on November 18th of 2006 against what opponent? Okay. Number 18th wouldn't be Missouri because that would have been the next week. Um, go Iowa State. Mm. It was a good process there. You knew it wasn't Missouri. It was a state, but it was Kansas State. Kansas State, yeah. All right, Aaron, you have the opportunity right here to do exactly what happened to you, but I will give you the option. Do you want to answer a medium or a hard or a really hard question? Uh, first off, did Kyle win his matchup? Um, Earlier today? Yes, he did. Yeah. So he has clinched the division. But this okay. matchup still could matter for, you know, Listen, at large. The more points, you know, that could be the difference between you sure. not making and making the at-large bid. I'll give Chris another chance. Let's go medium. Okay. Medium question. I love it. This one for you, Aaron. <laughs> love the sportsmanship here. This is fun. All right. Um, Aaron, for you. This Jayhawk defensive end led the Big 12 in forced fumbles per game in 2016. Dorrance Armstrong. That's right. Dorrance Armstrong is the correct answer. And uh, just like that, anyway, you get the win in the medium round with those six points there. And uh, just like that, you won in overtime. So the overtime giveth, the overtime taketh away, but then it, uh, <laughs> you know, comes back to help you out here. Uh, so Aaron, uh, after week one, losing a tough one in overtime, uh, I don't know, thoughts on on winning one here the other way? Yeah, it feels a lot better. Um, 
I don't I don't like when people go for the easy question after someone misses the first one. That just it's a cop out to me. But I get it. I'm, week one, I would have done it too if I was Kyle as well. Um, <laughs> especially with there only being three weeks, so it makes a lot of sense. But figured I'd have a little fun. I, I thought about going hard, but if I lost again today, I'd be pretty pretty bummed out again. Maybe we should make that as part of the rules committee, Nick. We should discuss in overtime the easies are gone. Could be. Yeah. You, can only, you, you know have what I mean? To, you have to at the least pick the same category that the first person picked, even if they got it wrong. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that'd be interesting. Uh, Chris, tough loss. Tough anytime you lose in overtime. Um, thoughts about, I don't know, where anything went wrong or, or if a question would have been reversed if, if you would have got it the other way? Well, I would have gotten the robotic once, so mm. maybe that's the case. But I have to respect Aaron's sportsmanship by taking the medium there. Yeah. Um, but going forward, you know, we might be making a change of quarterback in a tough season so far. <laughs> but okay. we'll see. Okay, well, we'll be looking forward to see if we have a, a different quarterback in next week. Again, still is a, possibly an opportunity to make it in as a, an at-large. I don't know how it's all going to shake out, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're completely eliminated headed into the last week. Aaron, you certainly, it was good to get that first win. So, guys, we appreciate you being a part of this, and obviously everybody's winners. Everybody's getting a T-shirt already for just being a part of it. Everybody's getting some uh, free stuff to McDonald's. So, uh, at the very least, everybody's a winner in that regard. Guys, thank you again, and we'll see you both next week. Thanks, thank Aaron. you. Wow, so Aaron, I, I guess that's the... Dude, that was a wild matchup. I know, that was a wild matchup. That's that's kind of the equivalent of... Um, Dude, that was like a Thursday night game where it was just both teams came mm-hmm. out and was like the first quarter was just ugly. Then it was kind of back and forth. Some crazy stuff happened. We mixed up the hard questions with the medium questions. It was chaos. That was maction. That was maction. <laughs> that was 100%. Maction. Yes. It was maction, That was Tuesday yeah. night maction. Um. And you know what, too, uh, we were we were actually talking to Aaron after the matchup, and I, I don't think he wanted this publicized because he didn't want it to come across like he was, I don't know, in any way upset or anything. He he was talking to him about this after. I'm going to bring it up anyway because I, I think it, it it illustrates an interesting point to this. Uh, he didn't hear, so whether it was his connection, our connection, or what, he didn't hear the first part of his question that said first name Earl on the, the easy one. Oh, yeah, he just heard this just KU left tackle. Yeah, it just didn't come through. Yeah. So it does make you wonder if you would have heard that part of it if you would have got it right, and then we wouldn't have even had overtime. Could have been. Could have been. Then I again, if the, the questions were reversed, the moral, of, the moral of that story is, you know, if you have any questions or concerns regarding the question, you can have you re-ask the question. You can have clarifications to a certain extent, whatever you may need. So don't, I mean, if, they, if, if you have any sort of question about a question, you can have it clarified easily. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the moral moral of the story. There is, yeah. You know, if 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 you think you missed something, or if you just need to repeat it, absolutely. Well, it's definitely interesting too that uh, you know, for for Aaron, you go from it's like sometimes the overtime matchups are almost to me viewed as like they can be coin flips. Oh, for sure. Well, he's he's been on both sides of the coin quite literally with winning, got to go first or or go second, and it is tough too with uh, I don't know some of the overtime questions because. Sometimes they no longer get paired up, so one might be slightly yeah, easier than the them. other. We just have them kind of right in there, which is a little bit unfortunate. But um, you know, kind of do the best we can there. I do like that possibility. I don't think we can do it at this point. We've already had overtime matchups and everything, but maybe next year we discuss. Yeah, you can no longer do easies. Yeah, or in like overtime. I said, maybe you just whatever question the first person. So it's you can either category. go the same category or for the win. Yes, one of the two. Yes. So if the first person asks. But is that fair? Because what if the first person asks for a really hard? So maybe we just maybe we just eliminate that part of it and just say 
in the first overtime in the first round of overtime it's medium, mm. second round hard, third round really hard. I kind of like the choice part of it. I I think if we just get rid of you can answer and easy in overtime, I think it gets rid of all those issues. Okay. So you just say But we can't we can't medium, do it this year. It'll have to be a future year thing. Maybe hard. we can do it in the playoffs. Maybe we can do it in the yeah. playoffs cuz you know at that yeah. point it's uh, kind of a new Stakes ground. Stakes are higher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, RCST brought to you by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Check them out in Lawrence right down here on 6th Street. Get your car washed. Get a uh, McDouble or whatever it is. I picked up some McDonald's fries over the weekend before a night, of, night out on the town. Nice. Woo, delicious. Delicious. All right. Uh, this is RCST Trivia. We will be back for more tomorrow, but two hours down, one to go. We're going to continue on with our KU football early season previews. Scott Wright of the Oklahomans is going to join us to preview Oklahoma State on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Five o'clock hour here on the show. Coming up shortly, we're going to let you listen in to some audio from Kevin McCuller and Nick Timberlake ahead of KU basketball's uh, games in Puerto Rico coming up here later this week. Right now, though, we continue on with our early KU football season previews. We're on the back half of the schedule now, and next up in line is KU's game at Oklahoma State. We're joined now by Scott Wright of the Oklahoman, who's the uh, beat writer for the Cowboys, to get kind of a view of what Oklahoma State could have this year. And, you know, you, you go back a year ago for Kansas, the Oklahoma State game was – the game that got them bowl eligible it was the game that led to lots of jubilation here in uh, Lawrence about Kansas getting to that six-win plateau. And that was uh, kind of an ugly loss for Oklahoma State, kind of an ugly stretch of play for them. Obviously, it was without Spencer Sanders. So I guess, Scott, uh, first question here is with Spencer Sanders transferring away to Ole Miss, does the quarterback position, does it look any better than where it was last year when Sanders was out? Because certainly that was uh, some troublesome moments for Oklahoma State without Sanders. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I'll say I'll say that, yes, it does look better than it did a year ago when he was out. I don't know for sure, and we, and it, we won't know till maybe October or so if it's better than it was when he was healthy because he was a really talented quarterback. He won 30 games, the second most in Oklahoma State history over his four years as starter. Um, you know, did have some injury issues, did have some interception issues during his career, but uh, over the uh, over the long haul, really talented quarterback who uh, Oklahoma State certainly could have benefited from having him stick around for, for his final season. But they had Alan Bowman transfer in. A little bit of a wild card. You know, he was really good at Texas Tech 2018 to 2020, but he had some injury issues as well. Only played in 19 games over those three seasons. So, um, you know, then, then he went to Michigan and was the third stringer for, for the last two seasons. So, um, might be a little bit of rust that he's dealing with. Then you've got Garrett Rangel, who was the starter that day in Lawrence, uh, was making his first, the first start of his career at that point and, um, had some bright spots, but obviously threw some picks and, um, didn't go the way that the, uh, the Cowboys hoped. And, and you've got, uh, Gunnar Gundy, Mike's son, who is, who is also in the mix as well. So, um, you've got some, some veterans, some youth, uh, guys trying to, to figure out what exactly uh, you know this this position group is going to look like. Ideally, they need Bowman to be the guy that he was at Texas Tech a few years ago, and and to stay healthy and stay on the field. And and then they feel like they've got a a pretty strong leader for the quarterback position. Well, when you look at I don't know where they were last year, seven and six. Maybe some of those questions, I guess, nationally at the quarterback position, and really not a ton of returning starters overall. Also, though, you just 
figure to kind of trust Mike Gundy and and what he's done in his I don't know time at Oklahoma State and just winning games. You also look at the schedule and uh, you know it's it's not one of the more difficult schedules from what we're looking at preseason for the Big 12 that maybe that presents a path to winning a lot of games for Oklahoma State. What is kind of the pulse in in Stillwater about the expectations for what this team should be this season? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a weird feeling right now because there is a lot of excitement about this team, but there's also a lot of uncertainty. So um, you, you mentioned not a ton of returning stars. They had a ton of guys that were that were in starting roles or or primary backup roles go in the portal after the season, uh, whether it was December or January, and they had to fill a lot of spots via the portal. Um, you know, they've also got some some younger guys that were that were freshmen a year ago that are going to be stepping into much bigger um, roles in this on this team as well. So, um, a lot of unknown in terms of what uh, you know. Just like I was talking about with the quarterback position, you don't know exactly what. Alan Bowman is going to be for you. You've got some defensive players who are coming up from uh, from the group of five level, like at places like um, Tulsa and uh, and Arkansas State that are going to be, um, you know, they've they've been productive guys, they've been talented guys, but what are they going to look like in uh, in the Big Twelve? You know, so there's a uh, there's a lot of questions looming around this team. But the core, the talent, the people that they brought in, they're excited about. So, so they're moving in a positive direction. Made a really quick flip um, in terms of of rebuilding and, and remaking the the vibe around this team because it was really bad at the end of December. When you look at the offense overall, what position group feels like the biggest strength of this unit, and what position group do you have the most questions about? The biggest strength you're going to point to uh, to wide receiver, um, but probably eight out of ten years with Oklahoma State, they just find ways to keep reloading at that position. Even though they've they lost four of their top five receivers, three of them in the portal, and Brayden Johnson graduated as a super senior last year. Uh, Brennan Presley is the only guy out of that group that is that is back, and he has just continued to be to be more and more productive every year out of that slot receiver position. Uh, they've got some experienced young guys that have been coming up the last couple of years, uh, like Blaine Green, um, Jaden Bray, uh, guys like that that have uh, have had their moments, but have also dealt with um, you know the, uh, the the struggles that you have early in your career. So, um, but they're excited about the talent they've got at that group. They've also got some some transfers coming in that have been productive, uh, including a guy named Bijan Stribling from Washington State, who was the leading receiver up there. So. They've got guys at that position. They've got depth at that position. The uh, the biggest question is is on the offensive line. That's where they they really struggled. Um, you know, it 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 really magnified the difficulties they were having at quarterback without Spencer Sanders because the offensive line was uh, was was just so porous last year. So they they struggled with some with run blocking. They struggled with pass blocking. They they came into the off season wanting to to have a new focus in that group, changing some uh, some of their schemes, getting away from some of the zone blocking they've been doing so much of the last few years, uh, a little bit more of a gap scheme and and uh, and just some uh, some some more physical football that they're trying to to get back to. So We'll see how that works. A lot of questions. It's a lot of the same faces up there that were that were on the team last year, other than uh, one guy who came back from injury and 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 Dalton Cooper, who they brought in from the transfer portal from Texas State. So they've got uh, they've got a lot of questions up front, and those are ones that they're going to have to answer and uh, and answer with uh, in, in pretty convincingly to uh, to really make this offense good. Defensive side of the ball, you know, you go back a couple of years, and this was. 
maybe the best defense in the conference, one of the better defenses that we had seen in the time of the Big 12. Um, a season ago, though, uh, dropping off a bit, I think 88th in the country in, in points allowed per game a season ago. Uh, what what went differently last year on the defensive end? Was it just the, the loss of, of, of a bunch of players from a few years ago just kind of matriculating down? Uh, yeah, it was. You know, you had uh, you also had a new defensive coordinator coming in with Derek Mason taking over for Jim Knowles. And, um, you know, a, just for whatever reason, didn't cl- click quite as well. They had lost uh, a couple of playmakers from the defensive front from the 2021 team. Um, they, had, uh, they had a change at, uh, at middle linebacker. Uh, a couple of DBs that were gone. So they did have to fill some holes, but they felt like they filled them pretty well. And, but it just didn't, uh, you know, they didn't have the same pressure up front. They couldn't stop the run quite as well. And, uh, and then it just, uh, it just filtered down from there. So that was, uh, that was the, the big challenge. And, and then obviously, you know, uh, probably jumping ahead on your questions, but obviously Brian Nardo coming in now as the new defensive coordinator, third DC in three years and changing the scheme. Whereas Derek Mason came in and started running what Jim Knowles had been running. Now Brian Nardo is bringing his three, three, five, like, like what Iowa state runs into this team. And so, um, so there's going to be some, there's going to be a learning curve with, with this group right now. And they're going to have to figure out how to run this defense and, um, you know, what it looks like on game day and, and all of those sorts of things. When you look at last year's game against Kansas, the Jayhawks really dominated on offense on the ground game. Devin Neal had over 200 yards and they forced turnovers. How do you think the matchup will look this season against this version of Kansas who brings back a lot of the same players versus Oklahoma State? Yeah, that's it. That's a, running the ball is, uh, or stopping the run, excuse me, is one of the things that this defense has to do incredibly better than they did a year ago. And, uh, you know, Devin Neal wasn't the only guy to, to torture them, though. I think he, he might have had the biggest individual day against them last year, uh, but he wasn't the only guy to, uh, to give them trouble. Um, you know, they've, they've got to, uh, to find a way, and it's going to obviously look a little bit different going from a 4-2 front to a 3-3. Three, three. Um, you know, you're going to have a guy like Colin Oliver, who's, you know, two years ago was the Big 12 defensive freshman of the year as a defensive end. Now he's going to be playing an outside linebacker and standing up and, and chasing guys a little bit more. It's going to be a unique change for him, um, but one that the Oklahoma State people really like because he was a little bit undersized for, uh, for a defensive end. He was only he had gotten up to about two forty five, two fifty. Now he's back down around two thirty five, and, and feels like he can play that position really well. So, um, you know, that's going to be a, a big key for whatever reason. Oklahoma State always seems to to, to have trouble with mobile quarterbacks. So, uh, so that could obviously be a a factor in that, and that has uh, that has spanned multiple defensive coordinators. So that's uh, it's a it's a kind of a fascinating trend to have watched with this Oklahoma State defense. So, um, so that could obviously be something that, uh, that is impactful. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, there are going to be some guys on this team that uh, remember what it was like that uh, really that, that, that two weeks up in, uh, in the state of Kansas when they lost bad to Kansas State, which was the game that, that really started the, uh, the, the snowball decline down the hill. Uh, and then Kansas was the, uh, the following week. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that remember what those two weeks felt like and uh, and we'll be excited to see the Jayhawks on the field again. Yeah, and uh, fast forwarding to that game, it's it's in Stillwater this year. Um, you know, it's for a long time Oklahoma State has has not just you know typically won the games, but they have they've won handedly in a lot of games that they have played against KU uh, over the series in the Big Twelve here. So uh, to lose like that last year, I, I would imagine that is going to be something where they're going to be very highly motivated. Um, to play KU this year. When you think of the matchup from last year, what went wrong for Oklahoma State? 
uh, maybe some some things that you thought could exploit from from Kansas uh, on the other end. Is, do you have any early read or any early thoughts on uh, the matchup in Stillwater on October fourteenth? Yeah, you know, I think I, I think that was uh, last year was an important learning game for them, kind of figuring out what this offense was going to look like without a mobile quarterback in Spencer Sanders. It's been so long. Uh, you got to go all the way back to Mason Rudolph in 2017 to find the last time that that they didn't have a guy that could move in that position. And uh, you know, and that was that goes back to before Casey Dunn was even the offensive coordinator. He was just the wide receivers coach back then. So this was really his first, that game was really his first big opportunity calling plays for a guy that couldn't really move around so much back there. Garrett Rangel can move a little bit, nothing like Spencer Sanders. Alan Bowman is the same type of guy. Now he has a knack for for avoiding sacks, but he's not a guy that's going to take off and, and make big plays with his feet. So I think that that game started a learning process for Casey Dunn in, in, in figuring out how to, to run an offense that's, that's going to be similar to what he has to do this year. And so, um, you know, I think, I, I think that's going to be a really important factor in what Oklahoma State is able to do, uh, because, because Casey Dunn has, uh, has, he's had his ups and his downs as an offensive coordinator. And, you know, this is going to be his fourth year. He needs to show some progress and show that, uh, that, that his success isn't only dictated by, by what Spencer Sanders was able to do for him over three years. All right, well, the game is in Stillwater, so if there's any uh, Kansas fans that are coming down to the area, any recommendations on, on things for people to do in Stillwater, places to go, restaurant, anything like that? Uh, you know, the, uh, the the two big ones that I always tell people, and it can be tricky on game day because because Stillwater is obviously not a huge town, uh, but if you get into town early, uh, I recommend Eskimo Joe's, which is the uh, the most popular place in town. Uh, you know, you have burgers and fries and all that kind of stuff. I recommend the bacon cheeseburger and the cheese fries, uh, and also Hideaway Pizza is a uh, a local spot that is uh, that is fantastic stuff. I want to say that's uh, one of our friend of the show's favorite pizza places. So I'm I'm glad you hit on that one. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate Scott you coming on here, and uh, maybe we'll talk again once we get closer to uh, game week. Absolutely, anytime. All right, that's Scott Wright of the Oklahoman joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk to get a look at uh, what the Cowboys could be bringing to the table this year. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. we got some audio with, with uh, Kevin McCuller and Nick Timberlake coming up on the other side. This is RCST. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think there'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.